welcome to a very special episode of DC Comics News Podcast. My name is Seth Singleton. I'm your host, and I am blessed to be sitting down with the amazing Scott Snyder. Scott, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Seth. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I, I, I'm going to see if you can match the level of excitement of those who are going to be talking with you along with me, because we're, we're pretty amped, I'm going to say it. So between all of us, it could get pretty wild. We might set some stuff on fire. I take no responsibility. <laughs> And uh, in doing that, I admit that I'm with a very venerable cadre of cohorts, the amazing Mr. Brad Felicki. How are you, Brad? I'm good. Awesome. Always love to hear that. And I'm also joined by the wonderful Kendra Hale. Kendra, how are you? Doing great. It's a pleasure to to sit down and talk with you, Scott. You too. And of course, the splendiferous, the amazing Mr. Steve J. Ray. Incredibly happy to be here talking to uh, the top fella, high school. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you. Wonderful. Well, as promised, we're diving right in. We will be talking about all things Scott Snyder. Where that goes, well, that's up to the questions we've got. Hang in, hold on, and I would recommend turning up your volume. It's always more enjoyable that way. Brad, we're starting with you. What's your first question to kick things off for this episode today? Well, Scott, thank you for this interview. Uh, you know, uh, as we record this, we're kind of getting started with the uh, Comic-Con uh, at home instead of having the normal San Diego Comic-Con. So I was kind of wondering about your impression and your experience with this kind of new normal of virtual cons. And uh, uh, how do you like it? What are the pros and cons? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I mean, I really... I miss the interaction with fans. I re- I genuinely do. And it, you know, I even miss like the things about San Diego. I used to complain about like the, the hall H line and the, you know, the wait to get across the street with that train, all that kind of stuff. I've been going there. This was my first year in over a decade that I'm not there. So, um, it is, it is a really strange feeling. Um, and uh, yeah, again, above all, I mean, the I see cons, the people that I'm, I'm friends with, the creators that I really, you know, hang out with there a lot, uh, and the guys and women I go back with, I think we all kind of see cons as an opportunity to say thank you to the people that have supported us for a long time. So we enjoy it. I enjoy it. You know, Greg and I especially, we love the chance to meet up and say thank you to people. And then um, secondarily, I mean, it's a chance to see friends, creators that you don't see otherwise, like for me, people like Jock or Francesco Francavilla, you know, Raphael, people that live either overseas or in other countries. And so it's, it's rough not getting to see them too. Cause we, I, there's some people I only see maybe once a year at most and, and it's at San Diego. So there's definitely like a, a tinge of sadness, I think this, this week. And, and, uh, as much as I think I, I've complained about it in the past, I do, I do miss being there. <laughs> So, yeah, I hope we get back to it soon. But I'm glad everybody's being safe. And I think, you know, uh, I obviously the most important thing right now is for everybody to take care of themselves and make sure they're in good health. Great. Thank you. And Kendra, going to turn it over to you. First question. Oh, I am so excited for my first question. I'm really excited to hear your answer, Scott. All right. So we know that uh, American Vampire 1976 is coming up this October, and it's going to take us back into the world of Skinner Suite. My question for you, with with American Vampire transitioning from Vertigo to DC Black Label, 
as a writer, were you, did you find more freedom coming to Black Label? And what, what can we expect to see happening with Skinner Street in 1976? Yeah, I was, I've been working on it all day today, actually, on issue five of nine. So there's a nine issue arc. We wanted to get a bunch in the can before we announced it. So we've been talking about it forever. And this has always been sort of the, the arc that would bring us up to the present. It's this like mega chapter that um, brings all the characters back from people you wouldn't expect, not giving away too too much, but like some of the peripheral characters from other arcs, from Dracula to the ancients, to the council of the firsts, to all of the mythology kind of culminates in this one. And we always were hoping to kind of bring it up to the bicentennial, um, 1976, and and have that be the, the year that everything really coalesced before jumping to the present. So this isn't the end of American Vampire, but it's probably the last arc that we're going to do that wholly takes place in the past before getting to the present day. After this, we're planning on, and this is a total spoiler, but we're planning on... Um, trying to do stories that take place in the present but have uh, echoes in the past. So stories that are informed by things that have happened through history but take place now when the VMS is investigating them in the present day with the characters that survive <laughs> from this arc. So, uh, yeah, we have big plans for it. I, where it is is the other thing that was really fascinating doing it is just when I wanted it to end in 1976 when we pitched the series, and it's in the original document, uh, in terms of its historical trajectory before it comes to the, you know, now, uh, it was 2010, you know, it was 2009. So there wasn't really a sense of the importance of the 70s as a, as an, as a, as a kind of era that had any correlation or real uh, deep parallels to this moment. It was more, or to where we would be when we got there uh, in, as creators. It was more just a, a knowing that we weren't thrilled about, we didn't really want to do the 80s and 90s because it felt, even then, like the 80s is, is done so often and then the 90s is so close that it, it feels sort of awkward. So, um, but what I've discovered when I was returning to it about, about a year ago and I started plotting the arc um, when I knew Raphael would be ready after he finished the project he was on, uh, was that the 70s or this that moment actually, 76, has such echoes now. I mean, it's a moment of tremendous, uh, I think, psychological and uh, and cultural crisis. You know, for the country, there's a real sort of... Uh, uh, a kind of fractured sense of identity. People are worried about the economy. Terrorism has just begun. Um, there's this huge disillusionment with politics, and there's this sense of decline, this worry of the end of, the, of American progress, uh, and this this deep kind of paranoia and anxiety about what what we were becoming. So it wound up being almost the perfect moment to to write about in light of what's happening now, mostly because. The themes of American Vampire, again, not to give too much away, are are really, uh, I think, embodied by uh, Skinner and Pearl. You know, Skinner is a character who began uh, really believing that the most American thing was to get what you could and become the biggest legend, the biggest name, almost so big that you could never die, and that that was the American way. Anything that penned you in, even death, you just you resist, you rebel, you break through, and you become larger than that thing and outgrow it. Pearl was somebody who uh, went to Los Angeles to be part of um, the film industry, but not be, to be a star. She just wanted to be part of something that was 
a great film, something bigger than herself. And that idea of, of America or uh, the American experience being something that's humbling, being part of a larger collective story, believing in collectivism and believing in the sense of that it's not about um, self-importance, but it's about sacrifice. It's about all being in it together and that that's what makes the kind of fundamental principles of, you know, this place inspiring, they represent those twin pillars. So this arc in particular brings those into really sharp relief because Skinner, when we left off with him, he was mortal. He had kind of all of the, the for some reason that's unexplained, um, but you get answers to here, all of the kind of monstrous blood was burned out of him. And so he's aging. Uh, he's on, he has kind of a death wish. When we catch up with him, he's, He's kind of a broken down, uh, like a motorcycle rider. He's like a stuntman, almost like Evil Knievel, but a really bad version. Um, and he has this kind of death wish. And Pearl has been working with the BMS for a while, trying to stop the coming of the of the original monster, the first monster, the beast, who's like buried deep beneath um, Las Vegas. So it brings everybody back from Travis, from the rockabilly arc to... Calvin to Felicia and Gus and Brun and all the characters, if you're familiar with American Vampire that um, we've used in the past and that are part of the American Vampire family. And it hopefully speaks to the themes that we've explored in different arcs in the most central way yet. So I'm really proud of it. I think it's our best arc. Raphael definitely does too. And we've we've spent a lot of time on it. We've been working on it really hard for quite a while. So we, we want the return to be something that was worth the wait. So that's my hope. <laughs> I'm, as a fan, I'm supremely excited to see what you guys have come up with. It sounds absolutely captivating and engrossing, so I look forward to it. Thanks uh, Steve, I believe it's on you now, sir. Uh, just hearing all those names again is exciting because, Scott, I mean, it, it's a staple of your writing that you're one of these guys that plants seeds that grow into monstrous plants at a later date. I mean, even going back to Black Mirror, when you started on Detective Comics and the introduction of Jim Gordon Jr., did you have any inkling there that you'd go on to write Batman for New 52 and then move forward? Or do you write a new arc and then go back and grab the seeds that you've planted in earlier stories and then make them grow? How, how does that process work for you? Oh, I had, I mean, back then, the the thing is, I mean, and thank you for saying that. I mean, American Vampire, I hate picking a favorite, but it's kind of my wife, you know, my wife isn't a, she reads comics, but really she's a doctor and she's, she's, uh, she tries to steer clear of, you know, because I talk about comics so much. <laughs> she's not, she didn't grow up with them, but she's always excited to read if uh, I recommend something, but she's always asking me what of my work should she read? And, and honestly, I never really suggest anything. Um, just cause I don't know. I, I, I just don't want to push it on her. And I, I, I never asked anybody I was ever with, even before we were married to read my stuff, you know, that I was, we were dating. I just always feel it. So unless they want to, it's just a weird position to put somebody in. And I'm so still so insecure. Um, but, uh, America, it was this year, just last year, when I was working on this in 2019, sort of building the arc in my head. And she asked me, she was like, you know, I've read Witches and I read Bat some of Batman and all this stuff. And what, what should I read? And I was like, you know what, I what? American Vampire, if I could only pick one thing of my stuff for you to read, it would be that. And it really is my favorite series uh, out of everything I've done. Not because I don't know if it's always the best or if it's the... But it's the most me. It's like everything that I care about and am interested in and, and 
you know, fearful of and enamored by all in one place. So I'm very, really excited, just so excited to be back there. I, it was, it is, if I, if I really had to only pick one series ever to write, it would be American Vampire. So anyway, um, but when I did Black Mirror, I mean, I, I, I no, I, 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 my deep belief was, I mean, the way I got Black Mirror too was, you know, um, I was working on American Vampire and they needed somebody to do backups um, for uh, for um, Paul Dini's Detective Comics. And so I went to uh, C2E2, I remember, uh, in Chicago to pitch my idea for the Black Mirror. And, uh, and it was going to be these backups over like 12 issues. And it was just going to be a Jim Gordon and James Gordon Jr. story. And Nightwing was going to, uh, Dick Grayson as Batman was going to kind of be in it a bit, but it was really focused on them because I only had eight pages an issue. And uh, I went there and I had never met, I was, it was, I remember really distinctly, like I went and I had never met Dan DiDio or Jeff Johns or Jim Lee or any of them. And I was supposed to meet all of them together at this convention. <laughs> and I was like, it was 2009 and I had, well, I, uh, you know, I had like a couple issues of American Vampire under my belt and I was terrified. And there was this giant kitchen convention happening there at the same time. And uh, it was like, you know, it was really over the top. There was like dancing sinks and all kinds of like people dressed up as appliances and stuff. It was really funny. But um, I remember I was like, oh, my God, I'm meeting them. I don't know what to do. And my editor was like, let's have a let's have a beer. And I was like, yeah, OK, let's have a beer and then we'll meet with them. And then he got called away. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a beer. And then I realized there was nowhere in there to do it. And then this guy came up to me. Cause I asked him like, is there a place in here to get a beer? And he's like, no, but take a look at this. And he had gone into the kitchen convention and all the countertop displays had like wine and stuff on them. And he had taken the wine off the displays and like ran away with it. And he was sort of like, that's the way to do it. And I was like, yeah, that's the way to do it. And it was like, I was a younger idiot. And I was like, I'll do that. And I remember walking in there being like, I'm going to take a bottle of wine and go have a glass and realizing like someone was going to arrest me and I would be like pulled out of the convention center in front of Jim Lee, Jeff Johns and Dan DiDio. And that would be the end of my comics career, like before it began. But I went there and I, so I didn't do that, but I met them and I pitched them the story for the Black Mirror and they were very sweet about it and said, you know, it'll probably make a, a good backup. And then I got back to New York and within a week, Mike Martz called me in and said, uh, to the offices and was like, look, Paul Dini uh, has another obligation. He can't do it. We want to ask you, we'll give you a chance. Do you want to do the features as well and have the features and the backups for, you know, at least nine or 10 months? And I was just floored. You know I mean? I had no idea that was, I, I mean, I never expected that. So I just lucked out in the biggest way. And I was like, yeah, you know, I really do. And, and that's, that's how I, um, that's how I got that. And then it became Mark Bagley was on the book and I love Mark Bagley, but I had, you know, I asked if I could work with Jock and Francesco and, and Mike Martz said, if I convinced that year just to convince Jock to do this with me and I'd never met him. And, uh, I had this, I had to really, I had, I met with them in a bar and I remember just being like, just going on and on about this story. And, uh, and he, he agreed cause he was, he's great. He was like already a star and he took a chance on me when I was like nobody. Um, so what, going back to your question though, and then I'll, I'll stop meandering, uh, the, okay, for that, it, was, <laughs> yeah, it, was like, it really was like, um, you know, uh, 
I only ever thought that I would get I the point I'm trying to make is this really I I never thought that I'd get more than the smallest chance to do Batman I didn't think I didn't think I was going to pull it off but I was willing to just give it everything I had and then I thought they'll they'll take me off the book because they're just using me to plug a hole until Paul can come back to the book or whatever so I never expected to move on to Batman afterwards I thought this was all I was going to get and I was really terrified because the feeling of um you know batman was has always been my favorite hero and the idea of being put on that character when you've written no superheroes yet or barely any i had a couple of small marvel things under my belt was just horrifying because as much as i would never give up the chance because i didn't know if it would ever come again and i didn't think it would i had expected to maybe get a chance to write like ambush bug or you know, somebody like that until, uh, no, not knocking ambush book, but all the way until like, you know, I never thought Batman was on the docket for me until five, six, seven years when maybe I would get like a short somewhere. So being put on 12 issues front and back of Detective Comics was like, all right, I'm going to get to bat once in the World Series. I'm just going to swing for the fence and then I'll, they'll figure out I'm not supposed to be here and I'll leave. And then with Batman, I mean, what happened was... They asked me, they kind of eased me into it and or tricked me into it where they were like, so do you want to go do Batman for a little while? Because Tony wants to switch with you, Tony Daniel. He's on detective, but yeah, he's on Batman, but he thinks he might want to go back to detective. And, you know, if you switch over to Batman, it'll be easy transition. And I'm like, OK, you know, I'll do that. Maybe I'll that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep working with Jock and it's still Dick Grayson as Batman and everything. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was right before the new 52 because they kept it really secret that we were in another convention. So owed to conventions again. And I don't remember where it was, if it was Baltimore or somewhere, but Dan asked me to have breakfast with him and I had breakfast and he's like, gave me this speech where he's like, listen, we didn't want to say, but we're trying to reinvent the wheel with this thing. And so your Batman is not just going to be Batman. It's going to be Batman number one and it's going to be Bruce Wayne. And I was like, I quit. <laughs> That's it. No problem. Because <laughs> it was, again, like, I was like, I am not ready for Bruce Wayne and I am not ready for a Batman number one. Like, that is not for me uh, at all. And um, it really, I mean, I really had tremendous uh, anxiety about, and I, and I I did say to him, I don't think that's, I don't think I can do that. And he was just like, no, no, you can do it. And we're going to pair you with somebody new and it's going to be a whole thing. And don't worry, you know, we'll hold your hand kind of stuff. And I was like, all right. And, but I mean, Dick Grayson was so easy to write too, because he was terrified and excited to be Batman. And that's how I felt about writing Batman. So it was very, it was much more, and he wears his heart on his sleeve, whereas Bruce never tells you how he's feeling. So it's a much more refractive way to write, you know? So anyway, the whole thing was, even on the first arc, I mean, same feeling. Court of Owls was like, they're going to figure out that I'm not supposed to be here. So I'm just going to swing for the fence and then just like never get another chance. And it wasn't until after, um, really after Death of the Family, where I started to build outwards, where I knew I had a second part to that story with Endgame. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to assume maybe they're going to keep me for a while and then start building outwards, like build my own kind of mythos, which is something that Grant had been encouraging me to do from uh, when I started. And he, he was always very kind to me, you know, on the books and was always giving me advice. And that was one of the things he said where he was like, the way to get over your fear is to give your version of Batman a, a beginning and an end so that you have yours encapsulated. And 
starting to do, I didn't start to do that though until the third or fourth, you know, third year on in the Gotham. And then I started to feel like, okay, you know, if they fire me, they fire me, but I'm going to build outwards. And that's when I started to get the idea when I was doing zero year for last night. So that was originally planned back then. And, you know, metal started to come around when I was thinking about, uh, when I was working on Endgame a bit. And so it was all, and I still have stuff that I'd love to go back and do like, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff from son of the Joker stuff to all nutty stuff that, you know, I don't know that I'd ever, I don't know if I'll ever do it, you know, cause I'm really kind of moving away from that, but it was that it was like suddenly being, it was, it was around then that I started to build out and say, well, if I get a chance, you know, I have this idea for Jason Todd, you know, or I have this idea for Nightwing or this idea for what would happen if, you know, this and, and so on. So some of it I'm going to get to do and some of it I'm, you know, really trying to, trying to focus more on my own stuff after this year so well i i think i speak for everybody here when i say that we would all read the ever living hell out of that so <laughs> um please yes please let it happen yes. thank you scott fantastic amazing seth meister your go oh uh, thank you i just want to point out that after we were just talking about American Vampire, Evil Knievel, and then somehow a motorcycle appeared to roar in the background, and we transitioned immediately into dancing sinks. I'm not sure who's in charge of all of that, but kudos. Just, just that was just that direction was phenomenal. <laughs> uh, and I had to, I had to chuckle along with it because I was just thinking to myself, like, wow, that's almost too pitch perfect. Clearly, someone, someone's looking out, uh, and and wants a good direction in this, Scott. I want to say that usually this is what happens when you have me as a host and we have someone as amazingly talented on you as you uh, on with us. I dive right in and then at some point I come back around and say, oh, hey, you should know who we're actually talking to and, you know, where you might have known him from. I think most <laughs> of the people tuning in sort of have a good idea of, of the different books you're working on. Um, and so I, I know that there probably could have been a, a better lead in, but I also know how valuable your time is. So we're going to continue to keep these quick and tight. If you don't know who Scott Snyder is, please Google him right now, Wikipedia, whatever, just get some facts, jump along. You're going to have right. a great time as you do. Um, I want to keep going with some great questions. And I really love the fact that you were bringing up, uh, in answer to uh, a lot of the questions that that were being asked, this idea of collectivism, which is something I came across in an interview of yours. And I would love for you to just talk about the fact that a lot of people are experiencing um, the new metal version that is hitting stands and and what they can sort of enjoy from it and and take away from all the different things they're they're sort of looking at and going, well, how did we get here and where are we going? But what I love that you said about it was this idea of, you know, there's all these forces pressing down on the heroes. and what it means to be bold and never betray who we are and that this is an opportunity to make a statement about what is great about comics and especially DC. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that just because I thought it was a, a wonderful sentiment and well, the opportunity yeah. to ask you in person or via the, uh, the, <laughs> the internet, it's a huge opportunity. Yeah, no, I, you know, I mean, I, this story, I mean, death metal for me, it's the culmination again of like uh, just a everything that we we've been building for the last about four years, but it brings in a lot of stuff from before that. And the point of it really was, and I pitched it back when um, we pitched the first metal, not in its full shape, but as a kind of basic log line to them and a, a kind of 
skeleton, which was that, you know, if metal worked and there was sort of a market for a big zany celebratory kind of bonkers event, but that was also personal and had this kind of sublimated um, message that was about that moment and that moment in comics and that moment in time, then we wanted to do a follow-up that would really bring in more. Because metal, metal was quite... Um, and it's a strange moment because talking like completely off the cuff, I mean, me- death metal was going to be small based on what was coming after it at the time, like some of the generations and 5G stuff. And then it was going to be huge when before COVID where we were going to take over everything for a while, for two months. And we always thought that was too big and, and would be too bloated. But um, then it it became more manageable the way it is now. And so it's taken a lot of different forms. But what it was always about, regardless of how many things it tied into or didn't tie into or whatever, was trying to bring back a sense of connectivity or immersion into the DC culture, even if it didn't touch on every story or bring in every book or that. It was meant to say as a message, um, if you have just picked up your first DC book or if you've been reading for you know decades, you're, we're all part of the same generational story that is comic book fandom. And we're all you know equal in our in our um, uh, investment in this community in that way and our value to this community and that we need to find a way forward together that's going to celebrate the best of comics, try new things and also honor kind of what came before. And so the spirit of metal was that, but the spirit of death metal is much more that where it was sort of always trying to stay true to core about the characters, what they stand for, but giving you things that you wouldn't get anywhere else to say, we need to be able to, um, we need to be able to, to make some uh, bold moves and try some daring, uh, try some kind of uh, daring tricks and see if, if on the other side of this, we can find a way forward that's inclusive that's um you know exuberant and and feels welcoming you know because i just think a lot of the time we wind up we all like there i have my tastes other people have their tastes you know some people feel in a structural way too with the market that it really has room for one thing or another thing and the truth of the matter is like the market has incredible pockets of health right now with all kinds of stuff both with with uh you know, uh, mainstream superhero comics in in certain places, but also with black label, but with books like that that are for adults, but also with, uh, with things that are, uh, uh, YA and, 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 uh, manga and all of these different things that, that are exciting, you know, in, in a way that doesn't, they're not at odds with each other or competitive. I think there are ways that they can be synergistic and, um, and really confluent and, so the story is about all those things while it, it, in a very sort of simple way where it's the heroes realizing they need to connect to their past, to their memories, to all of the stories of the past and find a way forward that's novel and interesting. So that's what it is. I mean, it also has like crazy ass hundreds of evil Batman, the dinosaur robot Batman and monster truck Batman and a baby <laughs> Batman and all kinds of bizarre stuff. And it's got like, you know, in dark side Batman with power Robins and all kinds of crazy, you'll see like an army of Lobos. (laughs) It's totally nuts, but I love it. I really love it. And you'll see it's the most heartfelt. It's, it's the most heartfelt, you know, 
kind of big crazy DC story I've done where when you get to the end, you, know, you I wrote I at the I'm writing the last issue now, but when you get to the second to last issue you'll see where they realize what they have to do and what it means. It's, it's meant to be a war story where it's almost like the only way through is to accept the same thing I was saying about American Vampire. You know, I think a lot of the time the books that I, when I'm working on multiple books at once, I try and explore a certain theme from different angles. And, you know, when, when I was doing Batman Who Laughs and Justice League and Last Night, there are parallels between what Lex Luthor is saying and then sort of from a different prismatic uh, approach what the Batman who laughs is saying about human nature and then ultimately what Batman himself is saying about human nature in Last Night. Here, what, I've moved away from some of those themes, but it's more about, like you were saying, the idea of, of collectivism and, and the sense of a moment when everything is kind of in decline or fallen apart. It, do you rebuild or do you let it fall away and sort of become fractious? That's in in undiscovered country as well so with this like it's really death metal is is very much about the heroes knowing that there's probably no way back from where they are but understanding that being a hero in the truest sense is not about you know almost being the biggest kind of most uh visible emblem or symbol of anything it's almost the opposite it's believing in the people that you're protecting as the heroes and sort of making yourself small in a strange way like the one of the the chapters in the book issue five it has like this moment where where uh, a character gives a speech and mentions uh uh alice in wonderland and so one of the chapters is called eat me and the other is called drink me and it's like the it's the you know the so it's a, it all of them have kind of like titles that i had to fight to get through sometimes but there are a lot there are, they're just letting us do whatever the whatever we want for now but that that idea of humility and that idea of saying the point of being a hero is to understand that you live on through your actions and how resonant they are, not your legend or your name or any of that stuff. That if what you do carries forward in a way that nobody knows it was you that did it, all that matters is you did it and it caused some little bit of good in the world. And that's what the heroes are about. Wonder Woman is saying the only way to win is for us to connect to all of our sins, all of the things we did wrong, all of the things that we don't remember about ourselves. And if on the other side of that, you know, we're no longer needed or we're no longer, you know, the heroes we think it doesn't matter. We need to just do the best we can and, and accept, accept uh, that we're all part of the same story. So that's my long winded way of kind of going through the whole thing. It's a, it's a really great and complete answer, and I appreciate you taking the time to break that down. I, I agree with so much of what you're saying, and I, I want to start like you know giving all this feedback to everything you said. And I'm aware of the amazing people that are with me and how little time we have. Are you? Do you think you still have time for yeah, one more question all the way minutes. around from everybody? Yeah, sure. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're gonna we're gonna keep them fast and and flying through. Brad, my friend, you are the next. Uh, you know, you are sub such uh, an established writer right now. You are like the king of comics writers right now. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to step back into uh, American Vampire. Uh, and that was my first introduction to you with the first volume. And it was co-written with Stephen King. And I was and I've always been curious how that uh, how that came together. And it was kind of when you were more at the start of your career. And was that intimidating? And uh 
I kind of always wanted to hear your side of that of that story. Sure. Yeah. Well, what happened was uh, I knew him from the book world uh, because he had uh, his. Uh, I, I met Joe, his son. You know, Joe Hill and Owen, his son, who I'm quite close with. Um, when we were in writing school together, I met Owen, and um, so I knew him through that, uh, and he had always been very kind to me and other writers coming up, and um, the funny thing with Owen was we became friends, and uh, I didn't realize, his name is Owen King, but I didn't realize he was Stephen King's kid until long after we were friends, because it just didn't occur to me. I mean, I didn't realize he was from Maine and all of this stuff either, but it was, he made, it was funny because we were walking together one day. We were out in this, we went on this trip and we were hanging out in Pennsylvania and he was like, uh, we were walking on the road and uh, this, this, this car came by and, and was like, you know, close to what came by close to us. And I made a comment about getting hit and he's like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't want, you got to be careful. You know, that's what happened to my dad. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I mean, and Stephen King too. I mean, he was walking on the road and got hit by a thing, a van, and he was like, "Yeah, that's my dad." And I was like, "What are you talking about? That's not your dad." Shut <laughs> up, man. And he was like, "He was like Scott. I'm from Bangor, Maine. My name is King, and I look like him." And I was like, "You're not from." And then I was like, "Holy shit, you're old King. Oh my god!" Like, and it didn't even occur. I didn't even know he had a son named Owen or any of that stuff, you know, or whatever. But anyway, the point is. Um, we became very good friends. We were already very good friends, but you know, he's, he's one of my close friends to this day and a fantastic writer in his own right. And, um, they're a great family. Um, but what happened was I sold American vampire to, uh, vertigo and it was like the best day of my life. I mean, I was working on a novel at that time. I had always wanted to get into comics, but I had, um, I had wanted to be a comic book artist actually. And I, I had a portfolio all the way through high school and I went to college in Providence <laughs> Uh, to go to school, I was hoping to take, I went to Brown, I was hoping to take courses at RISD to, to learn, uh, you know, illustrative art better, but it just didn't work out. It was too hard to take classes at both. And it was a moment when there was like a real renaissance of short story writers in the world, like, you know, Tobias Wolf. And it was like a soul celebration at that moment of like short story writing. And so I fell into that because I'd always wanted to write and draw. And then when I came out of there, I went to graduate school for, after traveling around and working some odd jobs, I went to gra uh, graduate school for creative writing. And um, after that, I managed to sell some short stories after much rejection and some bad jobs. And, uh, and um, I sold a collection of short stories and then the same people bought a novel and I was working on the novel and it was just going terrible where the market just collapsed. It was 2006, 2000, 2007, 2008, and all publishers were hurting. It was like that whole cratering of the mortgage, you know, industry and everything. And um, so they were really like, just telling me like, we can't, we really can't take this book unless it's going to be a bestseller. And and um, a buddy came along and was like, uh, you should just start writing, uh, you know some uh, stories for some of these anthologies or this anthology that we're doing that's about superheroes because we know you love comics. And I wrote this story and my wife was kind of like, you know, if you just finish that book, you'll be okay. And I was like, I'm so miserable working on that book. They're never going to accept that book, but I will go back to it. Just give me like three weeks to write a story that I love and just have fun. And she was like, okay. So I wrote this story called the 13th egg and it went in the anthology that Owen worked on. And um, that was how I wound up, uh, ed editor Mark Doyle 
from Vertigo um, came to the reading for that book and uh, was like, is anybody here a real comics fan? And I had, was like, I am. I just came straight from Forbidden Planet, I, you know. And he was like, you know, if you're interested in pitching, I liked your story. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I pitched him American Vampire like a month later. And um, anyway, so American Vampire sold. The first they rejected it. And then I was like, what if I rewrite it? And because it was all from Skinner's point of view. But I, I knew Pearl was the main character. But I had written a terrible pitch. I just didn't know how to write one. And um, they were like, you know, we don't really want a vampire Western. And, I, and Doyle was a great proponent, but, but Karen and them were just like, we don't really need a Western right now. And I was like, it's not a Western. It moves through all the eras. And they were like, okay, well, um, you know, try something else. And I was like, what if I go? So I went back and I rewrote the whole pitch and, and begged them to take another look at it. And uh, Mark helped me with it, Doyle. And, uh, and they, they accepted it. Uh, and it was just the best day of my life. I remember exactly where I was. Like, I was outside my kid's daycare. He's now 13, but he was a baby. Yeah. And I was just, like, overwhelmed. And so after they accepted it, they asked me, did I know anybody in the world, in the book world that was a horror writer or anything that might make a, do a blurb for the book? And I was like, well, I know Stephen King. I can ask him to do a blurb. But I don't think he will. You know, I don't know if he's whatever. And so I, I wrote him and I uh, just said, listen, you know, I sold this series. If you don't mind writing a sentence about it, you know, but no worries. I know how busy you are and everything. And he wrote right back and he was like, sure, I'll do it. Send it over. So I sent it over and um, he read it and he was like, you know, I would do more than write a blurb. He's like, I'd love to write an issue of this if you'll have me on the series at some point. And I was like, why did I sell it before he <laughs> said he would write an issue of it? Oh my God, I could have made real money on this thing and I'm broke. <laughs> like, I mean, because I was like, well, the thing is, if I tell them that you want to write an issue, they're not going to want me to write any issues. They're just going to want you to write an issue. But I did. I called Vertigo and it was after closing and I called them. It was like five o'clock, you know, whatever. And this is when they're in New York. And uh, I left a message being like, yeah, you know, I called Stephen King and he said that he'd be willing to write an issue, actually. And it was like 8.55 a.m. the next day I got a call from like the whole office. It was like, did you just say Stephen King would write his first comic book? <laughs> and so, um, I mean, it, intimidated is not the word. It was like pure terror of like anxiety and panic attacks and like the whole thing. So I've always had anxiety, you know, I've done Med medication for it since I was a teenager but this was like real I paralyzed I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna write this comic and I'm gonna be humiliated next to this writer who is gonna do way better than me and then nobody's gonna want to read it once he's off the book and then he the issue that he wrote he kept expanding it and expanding it and what I wrote I gave him an outline that ended with Skinner coming out of the coffin so in the water so that was my outline to him and then he took it and kept writing me being like, I think I'm going off the res a little with this, but I really am having fun. I was like, whatever you want to write. So he wound up writing the equivalent of five issues almost, you know, so I was like, holy shit. Yeah, what are we going to do? So then they split the issues that way and, and it was amazing. So, I mean, he was such a nice, he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And he, get this, like, so he took the incoming paid, he wouldn't, he would take only the lowest work for hire page rate. And no ownership of the series at all, nothing. Like, so he he got paid, like, whatever it was, like, you know, peanuts for a page. And that was it. Like, he, he no, no character he created, like, nothing. He didn't want anything from it. He was just the nicest mm -hmm. guy. So it was amazing. And, uh, and he also always messes with you. He's really funny. 
Like, he would write a script, and at the end, like, Skinner would turn into a bat and fly away. And then I'd have to be like, oh, no, I have to Stephen King, a vampire, it doesn't work that way. And I would call him and be like, oh, Mr. King. And he's like, Steve. I'm like, ah, Steve, uh, you know, the thing is, uh, are vampires? And he's like, I'm just fucking with you. (laughs) He's like, they're not. He doesn't turn into a bat. So, but he, you know, he was great. I, I I don't have enough good things to say about him because he was just, he's been a real advocate for incoming writers and emergent voices and i just give him tremendous credit he couldn't have been a nicer guy great thank you and kendra i'm still kind of floored by the joe hill and stephen king thing because those are like (laughs) pillars of my my world so i I bow down to a power far greater than my own um they're great i mean they're great they really are just a terrific family and the two of them are like just fantastic people I think that my question, Scott, because we're 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 talking about not only the development of your writing, but also how passionate you are. And I have to say, from my perspective, it is amazing for me to listen to you talk about how passionate you are because you you really delve into these characters. Is there a character that you haven't had a chance to explore that you see a story in your head? that you would just love to write and to tell that you haven't already? Let's see. There are a lot, actually, yeah, you know. Um, I mean, there there are some still at DC, and there's stories that I didn't get to tell that I want to. I mean, Wonder Woman is really the one that I've wanted to work on for a long time, and there is a lot about her I'm getting to explore in metal. I mean, to me, the heroism in Wonder Woman is her insistence on seeing the truth no matter what. And the idea that what she sees as true is our potential to be better than we're designed to be. And she holds your feet to that fire saying, I know that you're afraid that you're not going to be as good as you want to be, but you have to try and so on. She sees she's not, you know, she's not sort of focused on the optimism the way Superman is or the pragmatism the way Batman is or worst case scenario. She's right down the middle like that. And I love I love that about her and that's inspiring. Um, And I have a whole take on her that's sort of like a a whole thing in my mind about how I would have set her up with, you know, a a base beneath the Smithsonian with all all kinds of mythological. She'd be the kind of hero of all myth and magic. and, And if Superman is cosmic, Batman's earthly, she's that and all kinds of stuff. But I just, I don't know when that would, would happen at this point. So I'm really glad I'm getting to write her in metal pretty thoroughly. Um, but uh, there's Marvel characters. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's, I've always wanted to write Captain America really, really badly. Um, it speaks to a lot of things that I, you know, I, I love, you can see I love writing about and, uh, the stories buried in history, Wolverine, Hulk. Those, those are the three characters I think over there that I, I gravitate um the most, the, the most towards, I had a black widow idea I was really into, but above all, honestly, I mean, the thing I, I really want to do is, um, I want to get back to doing more of my own stuff. My plan is really to, uh, finish death metal. I have a couple commitments at DC where I can kind of step aside a little bit in terms of not being right in the center of everything quite as much. Um, still do big projects like we did with last night on earth, but a little bit our own and not dependent on continuity exactly the same way while still possibly happening in continuity. Uh, but 
the other things I really want to do, honestly, I want to, I want to teach again. I really want to start the workshop up again. Um, I feel like I've been given a lot of chances in the industry. I'd like to be able, it was one of my favorite things, you know, is having been able to be involved with, I wouldn't even say teach because I think I probably learned more from them, but, um, you know, with, with students that have gone on to do such great things like Vita Ayala and Mags and Chris Sabella and Matt Rosenberg and, you know, James Tynan and Marguerite Bennett and just, you know, all these people that, that I learned from and became a better writer from. So my, my goal is to kind of make room for more people, um, both in the main line and sort of move aside, do a little bit of my DC stuff that will still be big and, you know, over the top, but, um, my stuff and then really make room to do my own creator owned. I have a lot of creator owned. I'm about to announce like a bunch of different things, you know? So I, have been building on the side for a while and I just, I want this to be the year that I can, um, I can flex different muscles working with creators that I've never worked with before. And some that you've seen me work with before, but in new ways and really try and do things that, challenge me as a writer i mean it's that's the thing you know for me the the goal is to just always be exciting to yourself you know it's i know i'm not the best it's more just that the people i love working with like greg and jock and 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 becky and like the people there we're all really still hungry after being there a long time and it's not for success you know it's for surprising yourself doing something that is more personal than you thought you could put on a page, you know, or doing something that flexes different muscles artistically. So that's really what I'm looking to do this coming year is branch out and try and go back to the idea of doing things like when I did witches, how different that was or after death for me, I mean, how different it was for me to try. So I'd, I'd like to do those things more in a more robust way after death metal and, and still keep a foot at DC, you know? I'm, I'm loving every bit of this interview because that was, I don't want to say prolific because that's, that's that feels like that's reaching a bit, but that was definitely inspiring. And I'm glad to hear that even after the run that you've had, which has been magnanimous, that you're still hungry for it, that there's still the passion. And I think that that speaks for everyone here. We're happy to hear that because we expect a lot more of you. <laughs> I can't wait to see the creator own. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really thrilled. Like I, you'll see, it's like a real whole slate of different kinds of stuff. I just, I don't know. It really, like, this is, that's the only, I'm really, the thing that scares me the most is like when you see people and I, you know, this is nobody close to me because this is, you know, that's what I mean. It's like, I try and stay around people that keep you fired up. But when you see people that have kind of given up or have reached a certain level of success and then sort of phone it in or, you know, coast on. And, and yeah, look, I mean, plenty of people you have to because of your life or whatever's happening, or I completely understand and I'm sympathetic. It's more just, that's like the, the nightmare scenario is being complacent about it, you know, and, and like even Batman, I mean, I could have stayed, I had the, they wanted, like they wanted me to stay on Batman when they did rebirth and just do a double ship, but I didn't want to do it that way. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I felt like it would be too easy because they were like, oh, just do all those stories you pitched that are the small stories, do two issue arcs, three issue arcs. And it was more like I had, I knew I could write Batman really confidently at that point, but I didn't think I had anything in my pocket that in that format, the double ship, the constant rotating artist, the idea of um, the mob, like Rebirth was great, but the, the way we had to start very quickly, all the kinds of things we were under with that. I just felt like 
they were like, you know, but I would have been making double. I mean, I would have made, I mean, that's a lot. Of, it would have been a lot of money, but it's more that, you know, you want to be able to sleep at night feeling like you're doing the things that keep you excited about yourself. So you try. I don't know. Not to get too down memory lane or my own rabbit hole. I just, and then I'm like, you know, it's just, it's just that it's wanting to never make a decision for, because it's the thing that's, you know, you can do, or is that it's safe. Excellent. Steve, your turn. Wow. Great. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I wanted to touch on what you said earlier, that American Vampire is still your favorite, because looking at work, I mean, Dark Knights Metal and Death Metal in particular, you can almost describe it as, I don't know, a cross between the Golden Age um, craziness all the way through to Sprang and Mold Off to Hammer Horror and the Twilight Zone. It's just a huge mix. But I can tell that you do gravitate towards horror with the Faceless Joker and the Swamp Thing stories you wrote and all the grotesque villains and the Batman who laughs. So is horror your your main love because the, the your feel for it and the way you bring it into mainstream comics is something that's so much fun to read thanks so much um th- for me it's like it is you know it's the language that i like to write in more than any other and i think i've thought a lot about it honestly because the weird thing is having kids now that are getting to the age that i want to share like my older kid is starting to get into horror and i I watched way too much horror when I was too young. There was a video shop. I've told this story, but there was a video shop where I grew up in New York City down on 26th Street and 3rd Avenue called the Video Stop. And they wouldn't rent R-rated movies to kids, but they would deliver them to your house if you called. So it was like this neighborhood secret and all of us would order like every horrible slasher film and, you know, watch them behind our parents' back. And and I loved horror from a very early age. And yet I was a very nervous kid and I had anxiety and all this stuff. And I, and my wife is always like, you know, that's what gave you anxiety or it's one of the things that exacerbates it. And I completely understand that argument. But the weird thing for me is that I feel like it's the opposite. You know, horror is a way of confronting the things you're most afraid of in a, in a, in a, in a space where you can work through them in their ugliest and most their darkest manifestations and then come out of that with some kind of reckoning, you know? So it's the purest form of conflict in my opinion, where when it's done right, I mean, it's you facing off with the most frightening version of your own, uh, that's an extension of your own deep personal fears, you know? And that, that to me pits you against something that's purely, kind of uh personal and heartfelt from go you know so that's and what i think it does is for someone like me you know it allows me to work through in the scariest way because i have such issues with you know being nervous about the what the worst case scenario what if this happens to my kid what if i'm not a good father what if this what if really I what if really I'm not cut out for this? What if really, you know, horror lets you work through those in the ugliest ways, but in the truest ways, I think, when it's done well, because it takes you to the darkest place that reflects in your face like the things you're most afraid of. So you can work through them, accept them and and kind of move forward, you know? So that's that's why I think like because I'll tell you this and then I'll stop. Like the video store story ends with 
when I was like nine years old or 10 years old, I got uh, Night of the Living Dead, which is like my favorite horror movie of all time, the original. (laughs) Right. But I had already seen like Friday the 13th, number four or whatever, you know, three or whatever it was out in 1980, you know, five or whatever. So it was like, you know, I was like, oh, man, this movie's black and white. This is going to suck. You know, I'm like that. And I watched it and uh, it, it affected me, but I didn't quite know how. And then I got nightmares, like never again. To, I mean, nightmare, nightmares. And I couldn't shake this feeling of of anxiety from that movie of like, well, what everyone's going to die. And, and this, you know, and I, and I couldn't unpack it. And I really didn't like the movie for a long time because of that. And then coming back to it and why it's like my favorite is because I feel as though it was the first time I really was confronted with a film that was a horror movie that sort of was about something poignant and was merciless about showing you how the real terrifying thing wasn't a silly monster but was human nature and that these things were extensions essentially they were just pressure and they were they were the claustrophobia of of that moment and the doom of that moment brought out the worst in people as opposed to the best in people and everybody i thought was going to make it out of that movie like the young hopeful couple the daughter everybody died you know and that and ben i mean the whole thing so that idea of um that idea of the ruthlessness of it, but in a pure ideological, emotional, intellectual way, really just was almost too much for me to handle when I saw it. And then I came back to it and was like, that's how you do horror. That's why it's so powerful when done right. You know, it's, it's, it pushes you right up against the scariest things in your psyche and says you're going to have to look at this thing in its ugliest form so yeah I really I really love it I mean I feel like I try and use those priorities even when I'm not writing horror so that when I do Superman or Wonder Woman or any of it I'm putting them up against what I think their biggest fear is at that moment and then um, you know even if it doesn't take a kind of form that's monstrous it still represents that same kind of emotional horror so so cool. I should probably run if I don't. If I don't, I'm probably gonna get in trouble if I don't go back and take that baby in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Young Quinn, oh bless him! Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for that. I mean, like you say, so many people say to me, "How can you watch horror? How can you be a horror fan?" Because honestly, the darkest fiction is the one that often shows the most hope and shows the the, the, the light on, on humanity. If we can get out of that, so brilliant. Thank you. No, Seth. thank you. Yeah, Scott, I did have one last question, but I'm not sure. going to ask you to put the, the weight of your child against Undiscovered Country, which was my, my only... I'll, say, I'll answer super quick. Go ahead. All right, super quick. You teased me so great earlier. You've been talking about the idea of horror. I've, I have a, a love affair with that comic that is probably unhealthy and could end my marriage. But um, can you just tell me about the uh, the changing of the inspiration from when you started it to the period that we're in now and what that journey's been like? Because you've described it so well in some of the letter pages, but I also feel um, so much of it, I'm sure, is constantly evolving uh, from the time you write those to a time when you have a conversation with us now. Undiscovered yeah, I, mean, I think the Charles thing that's really crystallized yeah. for me with it is that Undiscovered Country was always... I always wanted it to be something, and Charles did too, that would feel like Land of the Lost or feel like Lost the Show or, you know, Jurassic Park, where you enter a world that's suddenly so transformed and alien and you get lost in it and there's different time 
zones that were, you know, time is moving at different paces and it's mysterious. We wanted it to be like a giant adventure series, but kind of uh, wrapped, what that's all wrapped around is a, is a message that um, wasn't as, I mean, it was always timely in my mind, but it, 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 people get caught up in how the way some of the facets of that story have parallels in the real world now, like there's a pandemic, the country's cut off from the world, it becomes more more volatile in terms of separate factions. Like those things weren't the things we thought made it poignant. Um, those were all extensions of this thing that I think is at the core of what's happening now, which is when we get afraid, uh, you know, and I think when we're scared, when we're angry, we tend towards isolationism and self-importance. And I think there's a ramped up feeling of, you know, everything from you know, a culture my kids are growing up in that's immediately gratifying, that's all about, you know, uh, self-promotion, self-importance, and, and you get your, you can insulate yourself from any kind of, you know, fact. You can find information and news however you want in whatever sort of bubble wrap way you want. Everything is, whatever you choose to make your reality, you can make your reality and kind of buffer yourself against any objective truth. And that, I think, when we get afraid, is the temptation that's always there, especially in American culture, because it's in our DNA is a sense of independence and self-importance and make it yourself and all of that. So I think we're very quick to be like, well, I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to listen to who I want to. And that, and that drive towards isolationism on a personal level and in an individuated way and in a collective way is the thing we were always writing about. So I think there's an impulse to say, well... We don't care about the world. We care about us. America first. Well, let's withdraw. And then there's a secondary aspect to that that's, I think, even more insidious, which is part of our culture. That's insidious, but so is this, which is, I think, a, on a personal level, an even more kind of uh, a more destructive way we separate from one another nationally and pull away and say, well, you know, my experience is more the people that I, it was more important than your experience that my yeah, and growing up in a place like New York City, I feel like there are a lot of things I didn't like about it, you know, especially in the 80s. But it's you're forced into a zone where you realize you might not like each other, you might not get along, you might not, you know, have the same uh, views on things, but you have to ride this train together. You're just stuck together, and that's it. And that feeling of that being something that you celebrate and being one of the pillars of kind of American uh identity it's not the pillar like we're all here to be part of one collective story and that's it is what that book is about so the thing that's timely to me or the thing that's strange and not changing is that i feel that what we're writing about is resonant for us in its call for a rejection of isolationism on every level uh, and a call for uh engagement and collectivism and all of those things as opposed to a with you know a retreat uh, and that, that's something that I think is, a at the core of what, what's happening, you know, now, whether it takes its form in a, you know, because of a pandemic or because of the States withdraw from each other, like in the book, or there's a, you know, whatever happens, that thing is the heart of the book, you know, is, and I think that, I think it's not just America. I think a lot, that's a, it's a, it's a feeling all over the place right now, which is you're facing these tremendous systemic entrenched problems, everything from the obvious like climate change to things that are more granular and people are just like, well, I don't want to think about how, how are we all going to get along and solve these things? You know, well, better to better. To, I'm only here a short while, better to, better to think about how I can 
benefit or how I can, the people I care about can benefit or my country can benefit. And that, you know, I think that line of thinking is just always, it's a slippery slope towards villainy, you know? And that's, that's, that's again, what's in metal and here at the book, you know, death metal and what Wonder Woman is saying to or learns is it's all, it really is just, there's no, there's no, you really, there's an isolationism in the end gets you nowhere but you know like alone in a world where you're you're not really alone <laughs> well anyway, uh, that's that's i'm like going on and on and on but that's that's kind of where i am with it well and i love that it's an extension of all those things that we started out this conversation about and and it was really you know such a wonderful way for us to wrap it up i know i'm gonna let you go but i also want to give people who are out there who might want to follow you a chance to keep up with you on whatever platforms you would like them to know uh, it's something uh uh, we give everyone a chance to do and if there's some place where you'd like people to keep up with you facebook twitter anything like that i'd love to give yeah. you the chance to let them know sure. how I'm on all those i'm on facebook and i'm on instagram and twitter i'm i'm a little bit less i'm trying to honestly just be a little less on social media because you know with it really is just that we're trying to figure out what to do with our kids in the fall and i'm trying to be more present than i you know, always <laughs> understood have. it's just it's a crazy time so i'm i'm trying to really commit to doing the work I'm proud of like on and off the page kind of in my private life and in my professional life off in offline and then have that as a place where I'm, you know, I want to be and I want to have a presence, but I just want to prioritize the right things, you know, and make sure that nothing I'm saying or doing feels performative versus doing actual things, even if it's, you know, not as noisy, I guess. I don't know. So yes, I'm there. No. I'm there, but I'm going to be there less than I have been in the past is my goal. So I'm going to take off. It is, this is a real pleasure. I really appreciate it, you guys. Thank, thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. Here, but let me say thank again, you. thank you for everything you do, especially in these times. The kind of enthusiasm you show for comics really means a lot to all of us. So I'm going to run, but thanks again. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And literally, as he... He said, uh, Scott Snyder has run off. I'm sure that, what was that, Steve? <laughs> Coolest guy ever. Amen. He, he really was. I loved how his answers were so complete, so composed, and yet at the same time were free to just ramble and, and gave us so many. I mean, I love that. I think in the first 10 minutes, he was like, so here's some spoilers. Bam. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Ah, that was uh, a great conversation. Thank you all for taking the time to join us today for this and each and every one of the episodes. We've had a chance to uh, record with some amazing guests in addition to the uh, the DCN Weekly. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, but what matters the most is the amazing group of people who made this conversation, the, uh, the joy you've had the chance to experience. I want to uh, take an opportunity to give them chance to tell you where they are, how you can find them, and how you can keep up with all of us here at DC Comics News. Brad, I'm going to start off with you, my friend. You can find me writing news and reviews of DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me on the DC Comics News podcast, obviously, and the Bad Love Harley Quinn podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And I'm going to go ahead and shift over to Kendra next. Kendra, where can the good people find you? I can be found writing reviews for uh, the Dark Knight News, uh, Fantastic Universes, as well as uh, on here on the DCN Comics News. 
And then also with the Mad Love uh, Harley Quinn cast. I can also be reached at uh, Devour All Words on Twitter. Steve, where can the people find you? On this wonderful show with you wonderful people most weeks. And on my own little show with my son or a guest talking Batman the Animated Series on the I Am The Night podcast on this same network. You can read my writing across DC Comics News and Dark Knight News by doing a simple search for Steve J. Ray in the search engine of your choice. But please talk to me as well on Twitter. I love to hear everyone's comments and feedback and uh, do read my reviews for Dark Knight's Death Metal on uh, Dark Knight News as well. Catch me on Twitter at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Seth Meister, where can they find you? Well, you can find me here with an amazing group of just probably the best sampling of people from across the world on the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. Whether it's on a special episode like this covering weekly topics, it's one of my favorite places to be. Probably second only to Mad Love Harley Quinn cast, which is a chance to just sort of let my hair down. Maybe say some, you know, uh, more adult-type language because we talk about adult-type things. Uh, you can catch me hosting the Spinner Rack. You can find me on the internet. You can find me on uh, Instagram as Seth the Writer or my dogs, Bruno and Fiji. I'm on Twitter as One More Singleton. And, yeah, let's go ahead and just say that that's the majority of what I can remember. When it comes to DC Comics news, you can find more episodes, all the episodes of this podcast. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast platform. It can be Apple, Google, Stitcher. Uh, I'm forgetting all the names, but there are so, so very many. Go to the platform you enjoy. Look for DC Comics News. Subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll guarantee that you get the chance to hear first episodes like this, our weekly podcast, great content like I Am The Night, hosted by Mr. Steve J. Ray, my very own uh, Spinner Rack, Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, and a future selection of great content on its way. Felicky Fashions, Mr. Brad, I'm talking to you. We know it's coming. <laughs> you know it's happening. I'm not done promoting it. Uh, for that and all the content more, please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. When it comes to social media, you can talk to the entire group. If you've got a message for each one of us, we told you how. But for the group, let us know on your favorite social media platform. It can be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Tumblr. All you need is the at symbol of DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. Do that and we will all get the message. Got the syphilis? You've heard how and you can always hit that 15-second rewind button to make sure you've got it all down. This has been an amazing, uh, <laughs> I mean, completely phenomenal, uh, unexpected conversation with Mr. Scott Snyder. And it's been a gift. And uh, with that, really, usually at the end of this kind of conversation, we only have one thing left to say, and that is to read more comics. comics. Thanks so much, folks. This has been a special. We're looking forward to the next one. Bye now.